Hey, well, good morning, everyone. I should say Merry Christmas, huh? Starting to feel like Christmas out there, isn't it? If you're a guest, I want to give you a warm welcome. We're glad you're here. And for those of you watching online, hey, glad you were tuned in. Uh, Just a quick update for... for, um, uh, those of you who consider this, right, your, your church family who've invested in this church, right, or a part of this church and what God's doing in the world through this church, we kicked off this Thrive campaign. want to let you know we're at 50% of our goal. So I just want to say thank you, Edinburgh. That's awesome. Okay, we still have some, some work to do, though. Yeah, we can, <laughs> we can celebrate 50%, all right? Uh, still got some work to do, but I'm confident that uh, as you're spending time praying and saying, hey, how can we be a part of this? How can we invest in God's kingdom through Edinburgh Church? That we're not just going to meet this goal. I believe we're going to surpass it. And that's going to put us on good footing as we go into 2022 to continue doing the caliber of ministry we're used to. And hopefully we're even going to be able to do more. That's what we want. We want to thrive. But the key is that we all do it together. Okay, so whether you can give a little, whether you can give a lot, we'd ask that all of you consider making a sacrifice for the good of God's kingdom, what he's doing in and through Edinburgh Church. So um, thank you, church, uh, for your generosity. Uh, we are uh, in a series um, uh, right now called Prepare Him Room. And uh, what we've said is, you know, as we uh, get ready uh, for, for the Christmas season, we, we call that Advent, right? It just means arrival. We're, we're, we're celebrating the arrival of the birth of Jesus. It's really what um, is traditionally known as Advent. But the reality is Christ has already come, right? Christ has already been born. That arrival has already happened. Really, we're in the second Advent. We're in the waiting for the second coming. We're waiting for Jesus to return. So we're actually between these two Advents, the birth of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And here's what I can tell you. As we find ourselves in this unique time, as opposed to all the saints you read about in the Old Testament, all those believers, those faithful people you read about in the Old Testament, we are in this unique period of of, of being able to spread the kingdom that Jesus Christ has already purchased through his life, death, and, and resurrection. And what that means, and what every one of us has to grasp, is that that means God wants to use you. God wants you to be a part of his kingdom. He wants you to be a part of his eternal plan. He wants you to be part of the story that he's writing. That's what history is, you understand. It's his story that he's writing for his glory. And he wants you to be a part of that. And there is nothing more significant that you can do with your life than be a part of God and his work building his kingdom that's going to be eternal, okay, here on earth with the time you have. But so many of us, I'm just convinced, are um, prone to missing out on what God wants to do in our lives and how God wants to use us and how God even wants to use our church, right? um, It's just so easy. I I was thinking back on this. (laughs) Does anybody remember television before, like, DVR? Now, I know the left side of the room has no idea what I'm about to talk about, but does anybody remember television before you could, like, record programs or before Netflix and streaming and before you could, like, binge watch anything? You remember that? Your favorite show would come on, and you would have to drop everything for that time slot because what happened if you missed it? You missed it. 
There wasn't any going back, was there? Maybe if you had cable a year later, they would do a rerun or something like that. But if you missed it, you missed it. And so I remember those fights like early on, you know, in the family, you know, commercial break, going to the, to the kitchen to grab something to eat, and then every man for himself to get back to that couch, right? Hurtling couches to get back so you didn't miss your favorite show. And by the way, that you remember the TVs back then? I was thinking about those two, those giant boxes you could put your knickknacks. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You could put your whole manger scene. And some of you did that. You would put it on top. And some of you remember that because you were the remote control. Remember that? Some of you grew up, you were the remote control. You know. But my point here is, you know, it, it's, it's interesting how when back then you missed a show, you, you missed it. And, and, and there's things like that in our life today that come and go. And if we're not prepared and if we, don't, if we don't drop what we're doing, if we don't slow down, we'll miss it. And, you know, especially this time of year, right, Christmas and all the fun that comes with Christmas. I, I love Christmas. I love this time of year. You you know, the, the, the presents and uh, the, the, the food and, 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 the, and the parties and the hanging out. But, man, we can get so busy and get so caught up with our own agenda and our own plans that we miss out on what is God's plan and what is God wanting to do this Christmas and what is God wanting to do in your life? And what is God wanting to do through your life for the good of his kingdom here on earth? Okay. And uh, this morning we're going we're gonna to see, um, as we open up the, the book of Luke here, there's, there's kind of two groups of people. And, and one group is going to miss out on being part of the greatest event that ever happened. And I can't imagine how sad that is. While another group gets to be a part of it. So we're going to be looking at Luke 2 this morning. And I'm just going to start in verse 1. Read this for us. We read that at that time, the Roman emperor, Augustus, decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. Okay, so everyone has to go back to their ancestral town where their forefathers are from to do this census. Because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. So he traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. So he's up in Galilee, but he's got to head now with Mary uh, down to, to Bethlehem for the census. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son, And she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. By the way, this is the NLT uh, version uh, of this account, the New Living Translation, which I I like. But um, Joseph is is going to to take Mary down to Bethlehem, but I I wonder if you you caught that, that last part, that it says there was no 
no lodging available for them. And, and generally, you know, tradition, um, other translations tend to say that because there was no room for them in the inn, right? Because Bethlehem is a small town. I mean, it's one of those uh, one stoplight type of towns. And they probably had one motel there um, where people would go. And so people are traveling for, throughout who have to get there. It's crowded. It's busy, right? Business is booming. And uh, Joseph has to, you know, get Mary <laughs> loaded up uh, on, the, on the donkey. And uh, I, I have no idea what kind of grass mileage these donkeys got, but they, they would, that was so bad. That was so bad. I just, something told me to say that. And I'm, I'm not sure it was the Holy Spirit. Okay, I'm gonna have to, after this service, I will question that. Um, I don't know where that came from. Grass mileage, yeah. Um, but they, they, they head to Bethlehem and, and they get there and uh, there, there's no room for them at the end. Now, now we kind of read over that and kind of assume, okay, yeah, no, we've heard that before, but you need to understand this is pretty significant because, um, in ancient Jewish culture like this, this, this is a time where hospitality is way more valued than it is today. Okay. We don't understand like this was a, like this would be considered an evil, for, for someone foreign to come into your town and for you not to show them hospitality. They didn't have to have just lodging in, in, in some inn, right? It was expected that you would invite them into your home. And, and much more, right, right, Mary is pregnant. And I am sure Joseph is, is, is begging. I'm sure he's telling people, like, like, please, she's about to give birth. And I can only imagine him saying, and, and, and this, is, this is God, in her womb, okay? People thinking, probably he's thinking he's out of his mind, but he is probably fighting tooth and nail for someone, and no one is going to give them lodging. No one is going to give them a place to stay, and the people of Bethlehem and these innkeepers like that miss out on getting to be a part of God's story. And they miss out on getting to be part of the greatest event that's ever taken place, God being born into the world. And what an opportunity they had before them. And they missed it. They missed it. Now, let's not be too hard on the people of Bethlehem. Let's not be uh, too hard on the innkeepers, okay? I mean, we can imagine um, this comes after a period that's known as the 400 years of silence, and the 400 years of silence is called the 400 years of silence because it was roughly 400 years where God had not sent a prophet to the people of Israel. The last prophet was Malachi, happens to be the last book in the Old Testament as well. And after Malachi, there are roughly 400 years before Christ are born. And so you can imagine, the people of Israel are thinking God has left the building. They are thinking God has gone fishing. God is out of the picture. God has left us to ourselves. Where is this God we read about when we read our Bibles? That's what they think. And you can imagine, under the oppression of Rome, they're wondering, where is this God? And as a result, they grow complacent and stop expecting anything wonderful from God. But here's the reality. We call it the 400 years of silence. But God really wasn't silent. 
You see, God was at work during this 400 years of silence. In fact, he was doing something incredible. It starts with a man named Alexander the Great, who conquers pretty much the known world at the time. And one of the things that Alexander the Great does, very unique, is he installs a universal language, the Greek language. Okay, he requires everyone throughout the people groups he's conquered to speak Greek. They would still speak their native language, but, but they would speak in Greek. And, and by the way, that's what the New Testament is written in. It's written in, it's written in, in Greek. <laughs> I one time had a guy ask me, why don't you preach from the King James Version of the Bible? He said, if it was good enough for the Apostle Paul, it should be good enough for us. And I had to explain to him, the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek. It wasn't written in English until roughly 400 years ago, okay? But it's written in Greek because this is the universal language that Alexander the Great made the people speak. After Alexander the Great's death, Rome is going to take over. And Rome is going to do something unique. Rome is going to spread roads throughout the Roman Empire, roads that have never been made, roads like people had never been able to imagine so that you can now travel throughout the empire. And on top of that, he's not only going to build roads, Rome is going to bring safety and protection so that you can travel those roads with a semblance of peace and safety. And all of this was happening during this 400 years of silence. And do you see what God was doing? Preparing one language. Preparing roads that would go throughout the Roman Empire and bringing safety so that people like the Apostle Paul could travel those roads and plant churches throughout the Roman Empire that have led to our church being planted here in the U.S., right? That, 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 so the gospel could spread. God was not being silent. God was very much at work. And then the time came for Jesus to be born so that that good news could go. And the people missed it. I wonder how often we grow complacent in our relationship with God. How often we just think God has left the building. God's gone fishing. God isn't involved. Because it doesn't seem like he's doing anything. It doesn't seem like he's working in our life or seem like he's working in, in the world. And maybe we grow complacent. We get caught up then in our own affairs. We get caught up in the busyness of life and the busyness of our jobs. And, we just, and our focus turns to those things because it doesn't seem like God wants to do anything. But friends, I want to remind you that God is at work right now. God is moving right now. Whether you can see it or not, God has given us promises and those promises will be fulfilled. And sometimes we have to remember, a promise delayed is not a promise denied. That God's timing is not always our timing. But one thing you can count on is that God is at work right now in your life, in your family. And are you going to miss it? And when he shows up and he wants to do something big in your life, in your family, for our church, are we going to miss it because we grew complacent and we weren't paying attention? 
I wonder what would happen if the people of Bethlehem, if just someone in that town that, that morning would have just taken some time to spend some quiet time with God. And, and just ask God this question. God, what are you trying to tell me? What do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Is there anything you want to communicate with me? I just wonder if God would have then, in that still small voice that God sometimes speaks into our hearts, said, hey, I'm sending someone your way. I want you to give them lodging. But no one was asking. No one was spending quiet time with God. And so they all, they all miss out. I was thinking about uh, our operations director, Terry Steinmeier, here um, this past week, uh, who said he went up to this place. He's got kind of a place he goes to get away from everything up north. And he said he went up there and he was just praying, saying, God, what are you trying to tell me? What are you trying to point me to? And he prayed and he prayed and he was by, by himself and he spent all night like praying to God and nothing. He got nothing. He was just cricking. He's like, all right, God, I guess you're not trying to tell me anything. As soon as he said, I, okay, God, I'm, I'm about to go, go to bed, he gets a phone call. And it's a friend of his calling him up and says, hey, they've done ministry in the past together. Hey, you want to go on a mission trip with me to Kenya? And he knew, he knew God was speaking to him. And so he went, he just got back, what, roughly a month ago, trip of a lifetime. And he would have missed it. He would have missed it. He knew it was God. And I'm telling you, life is never as exciting when you realize God is talking to you. God is trying to speak to you. The Christian life is more than us just reading our Bibles. The Christian life is more of us than just doing the things we know we're supposed to do as good Christians. The Christian life is about listening for the voice of God. What is he trying to tell me? It's got to be personal. Some of you say, I don't want to end up in Kenya. That's why I don't listen. <laughs> God knows your heart. He knew Terry had a reason to go. Terry had a desire to go, okay? He knows your heart. I wonder how many of us, at just the first step, God's just trying to say, hey, come up after church and get prayed for because I want to do a miracle in your life. I want to do a miracle in your family. I want to do a miracle in your marriage. I want to do a miracle at your job. I want to lead someone that you know to, to Christ. And we miss it because we're so busy and caught up. And man, we, gotta, we got plans after church. I just wonder how many of us, I don't want to get to heaven, friends. I don't know about you. I don't want to get to heaven and find out that God tells me, shows me. Like, hey, Brent, these were all the things I was going to do for you. But you didn't ask. And you weren't listening. And you missed out. And I don't want that for my life, and I don't want that for you. And unfortunately, that's what happened for the people of Bethlehem. They missed out, okay? But there's another group. And these are the shepherds. Okay? And we read this in verse 8. It goes on to say, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. Uh, they were terrified but the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. We saw that last week with Joseph as well. Don't be afraid. Apparently these angels, man, put the fear of God into us. <laughs> he said, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. 
paint. Now, here's my question for us. Have you ever wondered why it says it would be a sign to, to these shepherds? You ever wondered about that? Anyone ever read that and just been like, why does the angel tell them it's going to be a sign? I've often wondered about that. Why, why is it a sign? I mean, he just said you're going to find a baby, but why he says it's going to be a sign to you? I was doing some study on this, and... Um, Thankful, thankful to Michael Norton in his latest book on feast, on the Jewish feast, uh, for, for educating me on this. Um, but he points out that this actually comes from a prophecy, has to do with a prophecy from Micah. Many of us are familiar with Micah 5.2, which promises that Jesus, the Messiah, would come from Bethlehem. That's in Micah 5.2. It tells us the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But many of us don't know about Micah 4.8. And this is what Micah 4.8 says. It says, And you, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. The former dominion shall come. Kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem. And so it's a little bit of a veiled uh, passage here, but it's basically saying from this tower of the flock is going to come kingship, or we could say is going to come a king. But the question is, what is this tower of the flock? I, we've read this, maybe, and we, we skip over a passage like this, and we just assume tower of the flock is a figurative thing. It's just referring maybe to Jerusalem. But you read something like that, tower of the flock, and you just skip over it, right? But what we now know is that the tower of the flock is a literal, physical place in the town of Bethlehem. Just recently discovered, Okay. And so it was in the pasture area where in Bethlehem, the people would take the sheep where the sheep would be. They have found this tower known as the Tower of the Flock, which raises the next question, what is the significance of the Tower of the Flock? And for that, we've got to back up a little bit, okay? So stay with me here. We've got to go back to when Israel was in slavery in Egypt, those of you familiar with the story, you know God sends Moses to have the people of Israel freed from bondage in Egypt, from slavery in Egypt. Uh, uh, initially, um, Pharaoh refuses, so God sends the plagues, right? And what was the last plague? It was a plague of death. God sent the angel of death to go throughout Egypt, killing the, the firstborn sons. Okay, in every home, unless you did something. Unless you did something. You could protect yourself from this. You had to find an unblemished lamb. And you had to take this unblemished lamb. Unblemished meaning it didn't have any spots on it. It, it. it didn't have any defects. And you would take this lamb and you would sacrifice it. And then they took the blood of the lamb and they put it on their doorpost. Okay? And then the angel of death would come by that house, see the sacrifice, the lamb, on that doorpost, and it would pass by. And not only would it leave your house alone, God's favor would rest on you. You were going to be part of the, the escape. You were going to be part of the one God blessed to bring into the promised land, okay? But we call that the what? The Passover. That's why it's called the Passover. For those of you who heard the, the Passover, because it's the, the day that the angel of death passed over the house that had sacrificed the innocent lamb. 
And this is a practice that God said Israel was supposed to practice every year. They were supposed to take a lamb that was without blemish, you know, without defect, no spots. They were to put their hands on it. Like the, the, something they would do, they would do this for the nation, um, and the priests would do this. Families would also do this, and the, the head of the household would do this. They would put their hand on the lamb, and they would transfer their sin. It was to symbolize transferring their sin onto this innocent lamb that they would then slaughter. They would, they would sacrifice this, this lamb, and, and the lamb would die with the people's sins in it so that they could remain under the Lord's blessing and favor. So that their sin would not be counted against them, but would be paid in the price of the lamb. So now fast forward back to the tower of the flock. What was the tower of the flock? The tower of the flock was where the priests would go. And they'd go to the second tower in this, this tower, this tower of the flock. And they would look out over the sheep doing what? waiting for the birth of the next Passover lamb. And they would wait. And if they saw that a sheep was, was about to give birth, the priest would surround this sheep and the sheep would give birth. And if it was a, if it was a perfect lamb, they would take this lamb into the base of this tower where the sheep would eat, they would wrap it in cloth to keep it from getting blemished or dirty, and then they would lay it down in a manger. I don't mean to ruin our Christmas story. <laughs> These aren't just shepherds. These are shepherd priests waiting for the next Passover lamb to be born. And the angel shows up and says, I have a sign for you. And they go and they find this manger with Jesus wrapped in cloth, lying in the manger. What was God saying? Here's the next Passover lamb. That those who believe will have their sins transferred to him and they will be freed from the curse. My wrath will pass over them, and not only will it pass over them, they will have my favor. And now we understand why John says this. John the Baptist, early on in the Gospel of John, remember the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, look, what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. ha, <laughs> ha. This good news. Do you see the beauty of your God? <laughs> this God is amazing how he ordains these things to come to pass. And here's our sign. And listen, if the shepherds wouldn't have been paying attention, if those priests hadn't remained faithful, doing their duty, even in that year of 400 years of silence when it seemed like nothing was happening, they would have missed out on being part of seeing the Lamb of God that God was sending into the world to pay for our sin. We don't want to miss out.
We don't want to miss out on what God wants to do for us this Christmas. So what do we do? How do we make sure we don't miss out this Christmas? Really quickly, with the time I have left, I'm going to give you just three things to wrap up this story. First is this. You've got to experience Jesus for yourself. You've got to experience this Jesus for yourself. We read this in verse 13. It says, Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest heaven. Peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. Who's he going to be pleased with? Those who have received the Passover lamb. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Underline that. Let's go. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and they found Mary and Joseph and there was a baby lying in the manger. Friends, this is something you have to experience for yourself. And, and just like the priests and just like the heads of the home would put their hands on the lamb, and they put their hands on the lamb. It was a posture of saying, God, transfer my sin into the lamb. I'm telling you, friends, this is what you have to be willing to do with Jesus. To let your sin be transferred in to Jesus. You are not a Christian because you grew up in the church. You are not a Christian because you are a good person. You are not a Christian because you agree with the values of the Bible. You are a Christian because you have transferred your sin from your life into Jesus and let him be the sacrificial lamb on your behalf. That's what makes you a Christian. And some of you, I wonder if you've actually done that. I wonder if you just say, being a Christian is being a good person. It's agreeing with the things that Christians agree with. But you've never actually transferred your sins onto Jesus and let him pay the price for you. Which means, I have to tell you, you're still under the curse. It means God's wrath still hangs over you. The only way you get freed from that, the only way you get God's favor, his pleasure on you is when you let your sin go into Jesus. So his... Death can take your sin to the grave. So this is a posture we need to learn, church. I just wonder if some of us could just do this right now as we're in our seats. Listen, it's something. Anytime you have a guilty conscience, anytime you're like, "There's a sin I need to confess," you just, you just there's the lamb. There's the lamb, Jesus. I'm transferring my sin to you. I wonder how some of you feel right now thinking about doing that. Does that feel weird? Does that feel weird? Does it maybe feel? Like you're doing something wrong? Does it maybe feel like that's Jesus? That's the one we love. Friends, you don't want to be like Peter, though, thinking I'm just going to be Jesus' right-hand man. You're not just called to be his right-hand man. You are called to allow him to be the sacrificial lamb who takes away your sin. And that takes some, hum, some humility sometimes. Our pride can get in the way of us casting our sin onto Jesus. But friends, that's what he came to do. To free you from the curse, to free you from condemnation so God's favor will rest on your life and you will be blessed. (laughs) Whoa! I get a little pumped up. I talk about this stuff. 
I wonder if some of us need to do that, right? Hey, let's just church, let's just practice it. Let's just practice, practice it. Just, right? You know what? Just, I'm casting my sin on you, Jesus. You are the lamb. Just like the priest would do, just like, by the way, we're called the kingdom of priests. We understand this, correct? The kingdom of priests. I'm not a priest. I'm, I'm putting my sin. I'm putting the sin on my family. Maybe fathers, you need to say that. Mothers, you need to say that about your kids. I'm, we're putting our sin. We're going to put our sin. God, we're going to put the sins of our household. We're going to put our sin. I'm going to, as your pastor, I'm going to put the sins of our church. We're going to put it all on you, Jesus. Take it away from us because we want your favor. Receive that blessing, friends. Don't, don't miss out on this. Don't miss out on this. That's why he came. So first, we, we got to experience the sacrificial lamb for ourselves. Secondly, we got to tell others about Jesus. Okay? Verse 17 says, After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. And they went, of course they did. God's promise fulfilled. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. What an incredible thing God was doing. Friends, we have a responsibility now to go and to tell people about this Jesus, the one who can take away their sin. You have probably people in your family. It might even be kids. It might be parents. It might be cousins. It might be aunts and uncles, people that you love, neighbors, friends, coworkers. There are people who need to know that there is one. It's a free gift, one who will take away their sin too and bring them into the kingdom. And we get an opportunity as a church. That's what we got to be about. In fact, uh, our communication team uh, made up some invite cards. It says, celebrate Christmas at Edinburgh Church. These are at Connection Point on your way out. Maybe you want to spend some time today just praying or this the next week praying, God, who do you want me to invite to the Christmas Eve service so that they can hear about you? And what if we took some quiet time to say, God, what are you trying to tell me? He might just put somebody on your heart that you need to invite, somebody he's working in their life right now, even though you, we, may don't, we maybe don't see it, okay? And so don't be weird about it, right? Just give them the card, you know? Just say, hey, we'd love for you to come to Christmas Eve with us. We don't care how you look. We don't care what you wear. We just ask that you wear something. That's kind of what we say around here, isn't it? Can't force anybody to come. The law kind of frowns upon that thing, but... I mean, we can start praying, can't we? That God's going to bring some people in, and I believe that's going to happen. There's going to be people who come in, and they are going to have that curse removed from them because their sin is going to be transferred into Jesus. Amen? Woo! That's the kingdom growing, friends. That's what God wants to use you for. And then last, okay, we wrap this up. Praise God for Jesus This story ends, verse 20, says the shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. And we're going to get an opportunity with all that we've heard today to praise our God who sent the sacrificial lamb, the lamb of God into the world to pay for our sin And to pay for the sins of the world so that the kingdom of God could grow and we could spend eternity with each other. And I just want to remind us something. Yes, he came as a sacrificial lamb. He came as this innocent lamb, the lamb of God who would die on the cross. But you don't also forget that our Jesus is also a roaring lion who conquered sin, who conquered death, who conquered hell for you. And he roars as the victorious one who purchased our eternity.
through his life, his death, and his resurrection. You're telling me we don't got something to celebrate today? We're going to celebrate. We're going to get after it with a little worship, all right? So let me pray for us so we can do that. Oh, wow, Yahweh. <laughs> Woo, you are so good. How can we not believe when we see the way you've worked through the Old Testament, these prophecies fulfilled in the new, prophecies that are still being fulfilled today? God, we don't want to miss it. We don't want to miss out on our sin being transferred in Christ so that we can be set free. I believe there's some people here today that need to be set free. They need to be set free from your curse. They need to enter into your blessing and start experiencing your favor, a God who will fight for them. Friends, all you got to do is just transfer that sin into Jesus. That's why he came. Lord, there's people you need to lay on our hearts so that we can tell others about this, Jesus. We ask that you would do that. And now, God, we give you our worship. We want to say thank you. Thank you that it doesn't depend on our good works. Thank you that it doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on religion. It depends on what you have already done for us. So, Lord, help us to grab hold of that and praise you in strength and with a spirit of victory this morning. And all God's people said. <laughs>